Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Amen. So today, as we continue, we're continuing. We're actually in week four. It seems like our summer is flying by, but if you have your Bibles, we're now in 2 Peter. We've, we very quickly went through 1 Peter, and this week we're going to start to begin by looking at 2 Peter. We're in chapter 1, and today we're looking at verses 1 through 11, verses 1 through 11. And I, I really hope that you've been paying attention to this series going through. You know, as we look at, at the disciples, I really think that Peter, he's really one of my favorite disciples. What I love about Peter is that his beginning does not epitomize how he ends. Remember Peter in the beginning? He's the one, he's out front, he's jumping in front of things. He's very, uh, very emotional. He's all over the map. Jesus is consistently correcting him. Peter's the one who, when hard times came, he would be hiding from people. But now we see Peter who's actually leading the charge. He's running to the battle and God is empowering him. And he shows us today in this chapter about what is it that is enabling him to do this. See, when, when we look at 2 Peter, we recognize that First and Second Peter were actually written from prison, which is hard to imagine because Peter is talking about faith. He's talking about pressing in, and he's being oppressed, awaiting his execution, and he's in prison saying, we got to press on. There's so much to do. He's calling us to trust God. So how did Peter move from running from the battle to where being even in prison awaiting his execution, he's ready to move forward, and he's stronger than ever. The fire in Peter's not dying. The fire in Peter is growing. It seems like the more he's persecuted, the stronger he is. Why is that? And Peter, in this chapter, he's outlining something very important to us, which is faith. Which is faith. And I encourage you to follow along with me. We're looking at 2 Peter chapter 1. It starts off, Peter says, This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. He writes, I am writing to you who share the same precious faith. Everyone say faith. Faith that we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive. Everyone say productive. Productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sin. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. 
do these things and you will never fall away. Did you hear that? Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the faith that you've given us. Now in these few moments, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would anoint my words that they wouldn't be mine, they, they would, but they would be yours. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God. Speak through me, speak to us today, so that our lives would be transformed to be used by you for your purposes. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Did you hear the fire in Peter? Peter is all fired up. And one of the key things that he's underlining that has shown the way for him is that word faith. We talked about it earlier. Faith. We need faith. We need faith to operate in life. So since we need it, we need to start off by defining what faith is. And if, if you were a mathematician, it would look like this. It would be faith equals belief plus commitment. And if you don't like math, my apologies. Okay, But, but faith is all about belief plus commitment. See, we need to believe in the things that are right. So when we talk about belief, we're talking about believing that God exists, that he made us, and that he loves us, and that he sent Jesus to restore us and to rescue us. That's the first part of faith. But the second part of faith deals with commitment. Because it's not enough just to believe in something. We need to be willing to commit to it. See, commitment is a decision not just to believe, but to place our entire lives in the hands of God. That means everything, right? We sang earlier, you can have it all, Lord. And sometimes we sing that, and when we think about you can have it all, Lord, we think, God, you can have all my problems, you can have all my bills, you can have all my dysfunctional relationships, right? How many of you want to give all that to God? We all do. But what God is saying is I want it all. I want everything. I want those things you don't want to give up. Because, see, he's Lord of everything or he's Lord of nothing in your life. He doesn't share his throne. He's saying, you need to bring it all to me. You need to give it to me. And this is what faith is talking about. It's believing that God is who he says he is and his commitment to follow him. And Peter here, he's saying faith is so important because faith, it empowers us towards action. What does James say in James chapter 2? Faith without works is dead. See, faith is always accompanied by works. It's always there. See, we want our lives to count. We want our lives to have purpose. And faith is what enables us to live out that purpose. Faith enables us to follow hard after God and to be a part of his plan that he has for our life. See, faith, when we look at Scripture, we see that faith is what enabled all the great heroes of Scripture to follow hard after God. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 11. It's often called it's the hall of faith. See, faith is credited for the actions of greats in the Bible, like Abel presenting an acceptable offering, Enoch taken into heaven without dying, Noah building an ark, Abraham, Sarah conceiving a child, though she was barren and too old, she believed that God would keep his promise, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A whole nation. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice. Joseph, Moses, Rahab the prostitute. And then right there the author of Hebrews stops and says, how much more do I need to say? Do you see the importance of faith? All these people. 
But the author keeps going and says, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Listen to this. Listen to what these people did by faith. It said, by faith, these people, they overthrew kingdoms, they ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of the lions, they quenched the flames of fire, they escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle, and they put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from the dead again. Do you believe it? No? <laughs> is there any faith in this place today? When you look at what has happened and what God wants to do in you and that Jesus said you'll do even greater things in my name, we should be pumped up and going, God, let me be a man. Let me be a woman of faith. This is powerful stuff, and this is not a bedtime story. This is the truth of God in our life. See, we need faith, but I think a lot of times we hear this, either we've been too used to, to, to hearing it, or sometimes we don't believe it, because we need to remember that just like we saw earlier in the Schumann video, that Satan is roaming like a lion. He's not a lion. He's pretending to be a lion, but he sometimes helps us and makes us believe that he's a lion circling to see who he can devour. This is why we need faith. See, faith is what enables us and prevents us from being a fool, how many of you are like, I am no fool, or I'm a fool and I don't want to be a fool? See, faith, it points the way, it prevents us from being a fool because there are so many paths shouting your way. Every time you walk out the door, have you ever faced temptation this past week? If you were alive, you faced temptation in some way. And when you walk out this door, you're going to be tempted. Right now, you might be tempted to ignore all of this. See, there are so many paths, and they're all shouting out for us to follow them. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians, it says that we walk by faith, not sight. Because we can be fooled by what we see. Have you ever been fooled by something you saw? It happens all the time. No matter how much training, no matter what degrees you have, our eyes can fool us because we don't see the full picture. See, faith, it leads us. That's why it says that God, he gave it to us. And I love in this, in this chapter how it says why he gave it to us. Do you know why God gave us faith? Peter says it's because God is just and fair. Now, is life fair? No. I think my favorite quote about that was from one of our previous children's pastors, Pastor Bernice. She used to teach junior high. And junior high teachers, man, you are heroes, okay? And she was in class one day, and she did something, and one of her students said, Miss Bernice, that's not fair. And she had the perfect response. She might want to write this down. Here's what she said. Fair? Do you see cotton candy around here? Do you see Ferris wheels? If you want a fair, go buy a ticket and go to the fair. But this is my classroom. It's not fair in my classroom. you got to pay a ticket for fair. I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was brilliant. See, we can't be fair. No matter how much we try. And Peter starts off by saying that God is just and he's fair. And when we talk about justice... That's defined as a divinely righteous action. It's a result of righteousness. It's that justice. That's who God is. But Peter also says that God is fair. See, in Proverbs it says that fairness is a prerequisite for wisdom. And all the prophets, they all link fairness to God's righteousness. But we need to remember that God is the only one who is capable of being fair and just. 
See, the only place in this world, the only place in the entire universe that you are going to see justice and fairness is with God. He is the only one who's capable of it. Are you always fair? I'll answer for you. No. Am I always fair? You know the answer to that. And I've even heard great leaders that they say, you know what? That it's so hard that sometimes I'll just do for one what I wish I could do for everybody. Because I can't do it for everybody, but I'll do it for one. Do you know who can do it for everybody? God. God is the only one who can do it. This is the only place that you will find it. This is why it is so important that our lives are filled with with this faith. That our lives are being transformed into the image of God. And Peter, starting off this He's starting off by saying, we need faith. We need to have it. See, we are inconsistent. We struggle. We have biases. We have limited information. We have misinformation. That's why we turn to God, and God gives us faith to follow after him. So Peter's saying we need faith, but he goes on to the second point this morning, which is that faith opens the door to God's promises. How many of you love God's promises? See, everything that God promises, he follows through on and he gives. And the big promise that Peter is underlining right here is God's promise of restoration. How many of you love that picture? I know Glenn Egebrotten loves that picture right there, okay? Restoration. It is restoring to the original design, the original intent. See, a great God comes with great promises, And he's focusing on this because God made us in the image of God. It's called the Imago Dei. That's the theological term for it. But unfortunately, we traded a knowledge for God for a knowledge for sin. And you see the results of this. You go from the original design, the beauty that God placed in us. And there's a degeneration that takes place. There's corruption that takes place. There's corroding that takes place. And what Peter is saying is that now through faith, through following him, that now we are recipients of God's promise. And his promise is to restore us, that through faith, we receive this promise. See, this is something that only God can do in us. Have you ever tried to restore a house that was old and broken? Been there. I haven't done that. I'm still doing that. It's an ongoing process for those of you that you've ever walked down that road. This is the process that God does in it. And see, sometimes it relates to God. I'll, I'll invite people, do you want to know God? And they'll say, you know what, let me clean up some stuff first. Let me take care of some stuff first, and then I'll go to God. That's not how it works. That's like hiring a contractor and saying, before the contractor shows up, I'm going to try to fix the house before they show up. Why? God is saying, I know you, I made you, I want to restore you. Just give your life to me. Trust me. Have faith in me. This is the work that God does, and this is the promise that Peter is underlining. See, we don't clean ourselves up and come to God. We come to God, and he changes us through his power. He's the only one who can do it because he loves us. But he also underlines a second part of the promise because not only has God out to restore our identity in him and restore us to that, he's also out to restore where we belong, which is with him in heaven. It's that second coming of Christ. When Christ comes to receive those who believe in him, who are followers of Christ, they've given their life to him. And see, Peter, he's specifically underlining this because in that day, as well as in this day, there are false teachers which they deny that. They deny the second coming of Christ. They deny that call to heaven. And Dr. Kim's going to share more about that next week. But the false teachers. How many are excited for Dr. Kim to share up here next week? Yes. 
But see, the false teachers, they were destroying, trying to destroy that because if you can take away someone's hope for the future, you can own their present, can't you? When you destroy all sense of hope, when you destroy where someone's going, now you own the present. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the father. And this earth is not my home. He's calling us to heaven. This is the promise of God. But there's a requirement for this promise. See, there's a requirement for the promise. And that requirement is that we respond. See, promises, they require active participation. Promises weren't meant for you just to take and just to put on a shelf and let it rot. There's an active participation in this. And biblically, promises serve as an invitation. It's like a contractual relationship. It's like marriage. And the Bible often talks about marriage as as an example of what this looks like. See, my wedding vows look something like this. And actually, the person who was officiating it was actually my wife's dad. So he had a little bit of invested interest in this. But I'll never forget when Stephanie's dad looked at me and he said, Dwayne, he may have said, son. (laughs) In his thick Texas accent, he said, will you love her, comfort her, honor her, keep her for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. Know what I said? I do. I do. See, it was a promise. It was a promise she made to me, a promise that I made to her. But it took that active participation, that commitment to it. Because, see, the goal is not to just, to be, just to be married and just to say, well, I'll check off that box. No. See, the goal is to have this relationship where we're there for each other, where we're sharpening each other. The two become one. See, as it relates to the analogy of backpacking, of being on the trail, the goal is not just to be on the trail and just go to the trailhead and sit there. The goal is to take that trail, to walk that trail, to make it to the end of that trail. And Peter says that in this, that a big part of this, he he underlines that aspect of godly living. And godly living can be tough for us because sometimes godly living, when we think about it, we, we tend to think about legalism. But see, Peter, he outlines this, and he's not outlining it as a legalistic code which says, do this and God will love you. But if you don't do this, God's not going to love you. That's legalism, that's manipulation, that's terrible, has no place in the church. But what he's saying is that when we follow Christ, there's a transformation. And he outlines these qualities. He outlines things like moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love for everyone. What Peter is saying is that when you have given your life to Christ, there will be evidence that will follow. And this is what the evidence looks like. It's a natural outflowing of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Moral excellence, knowledge of God, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, love for everyone. These are all the fruits of the Spirit alive in us. I can't do any of these without the work of God in my life. Now, I may be able to fool you for a while, but when life gets hard, these are the first things that go away. That's why he's saying you need the Spirit of God in you. See, living for God reveals these things. See, there is evidence of a changed life. If you've ever seen a hiker on the trail, you don't have to wonder if they're a hiker or not. You know them by their look, don't you? 
I took my boys backpacking this past week. We had an incredible time. And all along the trail, everybody had the look of a backpacker. And we talked about how when we were coming down from the place where we were, we could tell how close we were to the trailhead by how refreshed they look, right? So when we first started off, you see these people sweating, and they're going, how much further? And down at the end, people are hopping around, they're jumping around, going, this is going to be a fun day. We're going, we're almost to the trailhead, boys. The fresher they looked, the closer that they were. But see, how you live on the trail, how you walk on the trail, it reveals how you've responded to the promises of God. It reveals, have you surrendered to God? This is why Peter is underlining this aspect of godly living. See, I'll never forget, back in 2010, I was blessed to be a part of a water well project for East Africa and Tanzania. And part of the project is we got to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, just under 20,000 feet. They described it as the death zone. That took a little bit of prayer. We went through it and walked through it. But I'll never forget what our guide said. At the beginning of that, our guide said, you know what, I've done this many times. And he looked at all of us, men and women from all ages, from teenagers up approaching 80. He said, if all of you will listen to me and follow me, I will get you up to the summit and back. But if you don't follow me, your chances of success go down. And there were times as we went through that trail that I would try to get up next to the guide and start asking him questions and stuff. And a wonderful man. And as I was standing next to him, there was somebody from a different group. He was a young guy, probably 23 years old. And he was doing, he was jumping back and forth the trail. He was going out in front, coming back all over the map. And I was like, man, that guy's in great shape. And the guide said, that dude's not going to make it. I said, what do you mean he's not going to make it? He's in better shape than I am. He said, he is now. He said, but do you hear what the Tanzanian guys are saying? They're saying, pole, pole. Pole. That's Swahili for slow, slow, slow. Meaning if you don't follow the guide, you start running in front of the guide and jumping back and forth the trail. You're not allowing your body to acclimate. You're not following the guide. You don't know what's out in front of you that you need to be getting ready for right now. You're trying to push the process. You're trying to rush the process. And I went, ah, oh, okay. But inside I'm like, no, that, that guy's good. He, he's going to make it. And I'll never forget on summit day, as we, were, we all had our headlamps, we started out at midnight to go up to the summit approach. And I looked up, and about halfway to summit, I saw these two guys, these two porters, carrying this guy down that looked like he was intoxicated. Do you know who it was? It was that guy jumping around. The guy that was supposed to be one of the healthiest people who kept jumping around, not following the guide, thinking, I don't need to listen He's now having to be rescued and taken down by two porters. He's in better shape than me. He had better hair than me. He had everything better than me. <laughs> but he didn't follow the guide. He didn't listen to the guide. He tried to do it on his own. He never made it. I mean, he lived. He didn't die. They got him down safely, but he never got to summit. See, this is who Peter was, wasn't it? Peter was the guy going out in front, the guy jumping ahead, the guy who on, on, when, when Jesus was betrayed, when he was being brought forward, he was hiding around fires. But something changed in Peter. He began following Jesus. He began committing to it. He began allowing this faith to come up inside of him. And now he's going, Jesus, I will follow you. I will do whatever it takes. In prison, I will still give my life for you. I have faith in you. He's laying this godly life out. See, how we walk the trail is so important. Does God love us? Always. But he wants you to be successful on the trail. That's why Peter underlines this last point, this third point, which is productivity. 
Productivity, we hear that a lot in various aspects of our life. We all want to be productive, don't we? Whether it's in our families, in our relationships, in business, wherever we go, we want our lives to count. We want to make the most of every opportunity. And Peter's saying that that productivity is the evidence of a godly life. See, productivity is linked to the qualities that Peter was referring to in this godliness, this moral excellence, this knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brother affection, love for everyone, this fruits of the Spirit. And as it relates to this, Peter says two things about this, and he links it back to productivity, that these things, they must exist in every believer. Every believer, these need to exist. And secondly, he's saying that these need to be abounding. They need to be growing and overflowing in every Christ follower. Peter's saying that when these qualities exist, we are now effective and we are fruitful followers of Christ. Because things that are healthy do what? They grow. They produce fruit. Remember when Jesus came across the tree that didn't produce fruit? What did he do? He cursed it. He's like, no, you were made to be healthy. That's why he prunes us back at times to make us healthy. So what does productivity look like? Well, first of all, I want to start off by starting with the negative by saying productivity does not mean prosperity. Okay, look at the life of Peter. Was Peter the, rich, the richest financial guy in that day? No. One of the most productive, he's sitting in jail awaiting execution. And he's doing the will of the Father. See, a lot of times I think that we look at productivity and we try to define it the way that our world and our culture defines it, being that you have all the money you want, you have all the toys you want, you have all the freedom you want, you have all those earthly possessions that you want, but that's not what, what God is talking about here. Do you know what God's definition of productivity is? It's obedience. Success equals obedience, period. It's obeying God. It's that surrendered life to, to the Lord. See, the world's definition, it chases you down and leads you down this pursuit of things that they're not going to matter 100 years from now. They're not going to be here. They're temporal. They're not eternal. See, productivity involves a life that is surrendered to God, saying, God, I recognize you are the architect. You're the one who leads everything. You're the one who's calling us. Productive means that I am a vessel that you can use. I am a tool in your hand. Do what you want. Sharpen me how you want. Place me where you want. Sometimes we get confused about where we are and when we're placed. There are a lot of people that were probably confused that Peter was sitting in prison. Could God bust Peter from prison? Absolutely. And there were times when even angels were sent to bust people out. Like the Apostle Paul. The doors open. Did Paul run from prison and say, thank God, see you, sucker. No, he went to the jailer and said, I'm still here. I'm still here. And he led that jailer to the full, full knowledge of Jesus. See, he recognized why he was there. When we're following Jesus, we find ourselves in circumstances that we don't understand. We just need to say, Lord, give me faith. Show me why you have me here. Show me what you're doing. When we have that surrendered life, God, what are you doing? Why am I here? Why am I going through these things? We need to come back to the whole definition of it's all about obedience. Saying, God, though they slay me, yet I will praise you. If Nero wants to execute me, let it be for your glory. This is not my home. I'm going to be with you. 
See, Peter says that without these qualities, without this godliness that comes from that transformed heart of surrender to God, he says that those who develop in this way, they become short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. See, when we fail to surrender, when we fail to give everything to God, when giving it all to God just means all of our junk, but not who we are. Peter says you're short-sighted, you're nearsighted. You're, you're like a person, you only see what's in front of you. Do you want to follow a guy that only sees two feet in front of their feet? They don't know where they're going. They're led by fear. See, fear makes your world very small and very controlled, and you're worried at any minute that something's going to attack you. Peter's saying, look, learn the lesson I learned. Lift your eyes a little bit higher to Jesus and follow him out. See where he's leading us. See what he's doing in us. See, sometimes we fail to have that fruit in our life because we've only had that external cleansing. We come to a place like this or we have a Christian friend and we start hanging around them and there's this natural washing of what's spilling over in their life. Have you ever experienced that? Right? You get around somebody, man, they love Jesus, and that person, just being around them, you're like, I just, I feel so much better being around them. I feel so much cleaner. But then when it gets rough or when your friend says something that might hurt, you start walking away, all of a sudden now, you're not getting that wash from them, and you're isolated a little bit. That's why God's saying, I want you to, to give everything to me. Allow me to transform your life, to walk in you to live in you, to breathe in you, so that you would move at the pulse of my will. This is why Peter says that that response is to work hard to prove it. Work hard to prove that you are who you say you are, that you are a child of God. He's not saying you're saved by your works. We're not saved by our works. He's saying, you know what? In light of who God is and who he's called you to be, washing you, transforming you, you're a child. I want to bring everything. I want to do my very best. I want to do everything for God. My life being open, transformed by him. Whether it's going to the Dominican Republic, whether it's going to celebrate Shoreline and saying, I want to give you a bottle of cold water in Jesus' name, just to let you know that we care. I want to go to Ridgecrest Elementary and clean up those grounds so they know that we care. These little small ways that we're lining up at the door saying, how can we care? When our brother and sister are persecuted, we're right in there with them. So we feel their pain and we're saying, God is with us. Amen? Amen. Can we all stand together today? And I want to invite you just to to close your eyes, just to cut out every distraction around you. I believe the Lord is speaking. I know the Lord is speaking to you right now. Lord, I ask that you would open our ears, remove every distraction. Any voice that's not yours, let it be silenced so that we can hear from you. We We need you, oh God. As we head into this response time this morning, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Are there areas of your life where you haven't surrendered it yet? When giving it all just means giving junk, not giving your entire life to God. And God's saying, are you ready to give it all? Are you ready to surrender it all to me today? If your response is, Lord, I want to give it all to you. I'm tired of just handing you my junk. I give it all to you. 
Will you just raise your hand as a sign of surrender saying, Lord, I give it to you. Just lift them high. Lift them high. Lift them high to the Lord. Commit to that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, as we walk, we walk by faith, not by sight. Trusting in you. Lord, show us the areas of our life that we need to surrender so that we can walk in this. The life that you're trying to create in us, to move in us. In your name. Amen. As we head into response time and as the worship team leads us, I want to invite our prayer team just to go around to the side. This is the time for you to respond. And if you raise your hand, I encourage you to go to one of these prayer team members and just go, I just want to say it out loud with somebody. I want to commit it to somebody. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm resurrendering. I'm taking these parts that were hard to trust and saying, Lord, I trust you. Whatever happens, I trust you. Go to one of these people. Speak it out. Turn to your neighbor. If you're next to somebody, you're like, I just want to pray with you. Speak it out. There's power in speaking it out. We offer communion every week for those that are following Jesus as a reminder of his body that was broken for us. Remember, obedience is success. And sometimes our lives are broken in order to be made new. And, the, and just dipping in that juice that represents Jesus' blood. By stripes we are healed. His blood that cleanses us. And just receive that either with yourself or find a friend or as a family. But let's respond. In your listening guide, there's a lot of questions, just things to prompt you. But how is the Lord speaking to you today? Let's respond in obedience to him and find that productive, godly life that he's calling us to. Amen? Let's, let's, let's respond to the Lord today.